we're not going to go into this in depth because it's extremely depressing. We need to stay like mildly hyped. But yes. the Roe versus Wade travesty uh, has happened recently. And so we're going to put a few links to resources in the notes for anyone who might need them or might need to share them with other people. Yeah. And then we feel like we've done very slightly more than zero. It's a low bar. Which might help us sleep at night. So yeah, the Dracula vampire record attempt I thought was an interesting thing that the listeners might like to know about. Help us break an official world record at Whitby Abbey. English Heritage is going for an, a Guinness World Record attempt uh, as the largest gathering of people dressed as vampires. Okay, so like it's a Guinness World Record attempt, but like, does that mean there's already been an attempt of a massive gathering of people dressed as vampires? Yes. Um, the current world record, would you like to guess how many it is? I'm going to go with lots. Good. I'm going to be start. very detritus about this. Many, many lots. Yeah, correct. 1,039. <laughs> Amazing. Mm -hmm. So uh, English Heritage trying to get more than 1,039 people to come to Whitby Abbey yeah. dressed as a vampire on, what was the date? 26th of May, 2022. Yeah. I want to go. So it's at the birthplace of Dracula, the 125th anniversary of Bram Stoker's iconic novel. Um, so I guess at the cathedral's, uh, Whitby Abbey, sorry, is what is where he started writing it? Where he? Well, it was Whitby. Um, he was like inspired to write Dracula when he was walking the Whitby cliffsides and things. And so Whitby then also features very heavily in the book. Is that why all the goths go there? That's why Whitby Goth Festival is in Whitby, yes. I had what I still feel was a really good idea for writing at 2am, like half asleep. And I cannot, it's not coming back to me now. It's too late. But That's so annoying. It's really annoyed me, yeah. Do you not do the notebook by the bed or the notes in your phone though? Yes, I do have a notebook by the bed and I do have my phone by the bed, but I have a real issue getting back to sleep if I've really Done woken up. So yeah. I, it's, it's if I wake up in the morning, I'll write it down, but generally in the middle of the night, unless it's like, I need to file my taxes, I, yeah. I probably won't write it down. I am, um, uh, it turns out, fully capable of um, putting these notes in my phone while I'm still asleep. Mm. Or, or like just waking up enough to put it in my phone and going back to sleep. I'm quite lucky. So I do enjoy looking at some of the things I've written som sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't got any good recent ones apart from Donkey Up Minaret equals NFTs from when we were recording Jingo. And yeah. I still don't know what I meant, but I stand by it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that might be an axiom. It might be. I'm not sure what an axiom is. Oh, it's, it's like a, a truth. Yeah. It's what you base philosophy around. Oh yeah, like that, the. I'm sure you fucking, told me that. Yeah, when we yeah, but that was back when we did pyramids and we were talking about like ancient Greeks and paradoxes and stuff to do with tortoises, and that's all left my. That was over a year ago, Francine. Yeah, but you'd held on to that knowledge for like 15 years and then just forgotten it after you told me. I see. I think I had to reteach myself some of it for oh, okay. that. The Plato, <laughs> Plato's cave is the only one I remember. And only because I got really distracted by the idea of like a puppet show and not about the nature of reality when we were originally studying it. Yeah. Because then the teacher was like, it's basically like what the Matrix is about. And I was like, oh my God, but what if you did the Matrix with puppets? Yeah. What if? Like, I would watch that. Like, imagine the Matrix, but as like a Punch and Judy show. Um. Well, we've not seen the Matrix proper. No, neither of us have properly watched the Matrix. So... We might have to do that before we work on the adaptation for real, but I'm, okay. I'm into it as a concept. Uh, the other cool. cool thing I just discovered, like literally today, 
as I may have found this before, mentioned it, completely forgotten about it, but the Internet Speculative Fiction Database. Um, it's just Ooh. an online encyclopedia thing of all the speculative fiction titles. It's like, so homepage at the moment is uh, authors born on this day, authors died on this day, but then like the database has author directory, award directory, publisher magazine, statistics, all of that. Nice. So that was really useful. I was looking for some old reviews of this book. Yeah. And you can save mankind, which I fucking failed at and I couldn't be bothered because I got distracted by this. Um, and yeah, so I'll link to that Collins in the show notes. This seems like a resource that both of us and probably a lot of our listeners will use. Awesome. And it's got a pleasingly old fashioned aesthetic. I didn't look up any old reviews or any of things for this. I did have a quick look at Annotated Pratchett, which pointed out that you'll benefit greatly from having seen the film Alien. So now I have to admit to the listeners that I've never actually watched the film Alien. I haven't either, but I have watched Jack play the video game for a long time and I get the idea. And I've seen enough clips from it. Like, okay, I know. No, yeah, like, like I get I references to it. <laughs> I uh, I played a massive board game that was blatantly a rip-off of Alien and that I hated. Cool. Don't yeah, I mean, I'm, Nemesis. I, I don't feel ashamed of not watching it because I'm not going to watch it because it's a horror movie. It's a horror sci-fi and I can't watch horror. So I not for me. sometimes feel like I should have seen some of these things and then I remind myself that life is ephemeral and fleeting. And then you get I depressed and can't be bothered. No, it's more like it doesn't matter what <laughs> films I should or shouldn't. I have to keep reminding myself of this a lot, like on the internet recently, because everything is terrible. Mm. So I just have to focus on things like the Met Gala which is like the good kind of terrible. Right, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, is that better? I mean, it's better, obviously. It's yeah, whenever I'm sad, I just look at a picture of Blake Lively in that dress. Blake Lively is a is a public service. Right, so Ryan Reynolds, as in Blake Lively's husband, mm -hmm. is the only man who gets a pass for going to the Met Gala and just wearing a plain tuxedo, because like, why would you bother doing anything else when you're standing next to that? Yeah, I mean, you just have to, you have to act as a moon, don't you just reflect some of the glory? Exactly. He gets about all the other men who wear plain tuxedos, I'm judging. It was a real waste of, because uh, it's the gilded age, wasn't it? It's a wasted opportunity for these men to wear a top hat. Well, it's gilded fashion, yeah. but the reference was to gilded age. Um, there was at least some reference to like the white tie stuff. Like, st Did you see Stormzy in Burberry? I did. I didn't see him in the main pictures, but I did. Find, I saw him afterwards on Twitter. Someone was like, why isn't this picture everywhere? And I was like, why isn't it? He looks so good. He does. And that was fun because it was like, it didn't need to be massive and golden shiny. It was a reference to the white tie thing, but also big and high fashion and dramatic and had a cape. Mm. I want that outfit. Does Lil Nas X go to this? If not, he should. He has in the past, but I don't think he was there this year. No. I don't know if I'm imagining that. Billy Porter wasn't there either. And Billy Porter's always amazing. Uh, yeah. No, I know Billy Porter. Uh, yes. Kinky Boots. Yes. He, for uh, the year where camp was the theme genuinely like dressed as an egyptian god and was like carried in on a litter by six glistening gold men that is i feel like that goes through camp and not on the other side but fine yeah good i just want to enter a <laughs> room like that back around <laughs> i just really want to enter a room like that like once uh well i think as soon as we've gotten our cult going yeah i was thinking for my birthday a... but like the room's upstairs they're, they're really narrow stairs dude no, I know. I had to try and, and walk up and them in a full-length dress once. That, is, that like, implies that they're slippery. Yeah, all right. Let's not put slippery men up. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. No. <laughs> no. Mm, slippery, slippery men. Right. I've forgotten How that. Did we we get haven't. Here? 
<laughs> we haven't done this for like two weeks and I've forgotten how to podcast. Yeah, sorry, listeners, we're a week late because we both scheduled things and then Joanna's internet broke, so we lost our one window of opportunity. Soz. It's not my fault, though. It's BT's, so fuck them. Well, yeah, everyone assumes you didn't take to the router with a mallet. You've not gone that far down the frustration rabbit hole. I nearly threw my computer out the window. Luckily, my computer was quite heavy. Oh, good. More of a motivation to lift. Your chair is creaking again. Fuck. Sorry. Uh, Apologies, listeners. Static. (laughs) I can't not move. It swivels, Francine. I'm trying so hard not to just twirl all the time, not just in the chair. You're attached to the computer by a wire. <laughs> do you remember when we worked in telesales and we got those wired headsets for the first time? And we kept standing up and nearly dragging the whole computer off with us. Yes. That was good. So I, mean, I think I was the first one to do that, obviously, because it was me yeah. and me back in the day when yeah. I was drunk. <laughs> no one that might was sound odd, listeners, but everyone was drunk at that job. No one was sober. No one was sober. You can't do that sober. <laughs> I don't know hey, if you, you want to buy given... solar panels. See, that sounds ridiculous because I'm sober. I am currently sober. I'm currently drinking a coffee. And hello, are you interested in photovoltaics? So, bleh, fuck, I can't say exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. You sound like a buffoon. I sound like a buffoon often, Francine. Speaking of which, should we make a podcast? Yes, let's make a podcast. Hello and welcome to The True Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today we are not talking Discworld. We are talking about only you can save mankind. It's true, listeners. Only you. Literally you, whoever is listening to this now. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the first book of the Johnny Maxwell trilogy. We are continuing our terrific trilogies season yes we are what was the first uh, one again oh the bromeliad yeah note on spoilers before we crack on we're a spoiler light podcast uh obviously heavy spoilers for the book only you can save mankind because we're talking about the whole thing yeah possibly mild spoilers for the next two books in the trilogy but i doubt it i've forgotten what I happened in them yet, so. uh but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series and we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. In a virtual spacecraft controlled in your dreams. Marvellous. Yeah. Have we got anything to follow up on? Yeah. So magpies. Yeah. I, I spotted something elsewhere in the Oxford Superstition Dictionary thing, um, which was under bus tickets. So as you can tell, I was just opening it randomly again instead of sleeping. Yep. 1952. In Hull, as a schoolgirl, the rhyme one for sorrow, two for joy, going up to seven, was always applied to the numbers on tram tickets. The number was added up and divided by seven, and the rhyme applied to the figure remaining. So that's fun. I like that. Good and old then, Hull. Another girl saying the same with the uh, bus ticket. That's, an, that's enjoyable. I enjoy that. Right. Let's talk about Only You Can Save Mankind. Uh, okay. Do you want to introduce us to the book, Francine? Sure. So, Only You Can Save Mankind was published in September 1992. So this is after the start of Discworld. We've got a little sojourn. A little sojourn. It is a kid's book, a young adult's book, kid's book. Um, it was shortlisted for a children's fiction award. It made it into some of the adult reading charts as well as the kids' reading charts, same as uh, a couple of the Bromeliad books did. 
it's been adapted a couple times. It was adapted into a radio drama in 96. It was adapted into a musical in 2004, uh, the soundtrack of which is available on YouTube. So I'll link it in the show notes. Um, unless that's illegal, in which case, forget I said that, don't see me. Whoever I, made I, that. <laughs> I did not know there was a musical. There's a TV adaptation as well, isn't there? Yeah, like parts of it were adapted in a drama way to go with a documentary. I've not been able to find that. Yeah, that's why we're not covering that, listeners, because... I I had a look, and I assume you had a look as well, and I just... Yeah. If it's available, it's going to take many hours of me looking, and I can't be bothered. Um, so, yeah. The blurb is... As the mighty alien fleet from the very latest computer game thunders across the computer screen, Johnny prepares to blow them into the usual million pieces. And they send him a message. We surrender. They're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to die. And computer joysticks don't have don't fire buttons. It's hard enough trying to save mankind from the galactic hordes. It's even harder trying to save the galactic hordes from mankind. But it's only a game, isn't it? Isn't it? That's a quite interesting, actually, because and blurbs can often vary from edition to edition, and I know we don't have the same one, mm. um, but mine is word for word the same, apart from I it ends this, at don't fire buttons. I took this from Space because I put the dust jacket from my edition somewhere, oh, um, right. and also I did all my notes on the ebook version because I just have every version of things now. I also have the audiobook, but I barely listened to it, so that was a waste of a credit. <laughs> Uh, I, the version I'm using is the 2004 paperback in case listeners following on, but we won't be comparing page numbers much because yeah. A, we're doing the no whole book. Yeah. A and you and I have very different versions. So your version doesn't have the foreword, does it? It doesn't, no, but yours does. So if you could read that bit for me, that would be brilliant, please. Yeah. So like I said, uh, should an author change a book that was published years ago? It's not usual. A book's a done and finished thing, sort of picture of the time in which it was written. No one expects Tom Sawyer to have a skateboard sigh but i bet he'll be given one one day uh so i haven't made many alterations to this book there's no point in giving your dad a pair of new rocks pushing him into the mosh pit and trying to pretend he's 14 (laughs) uh but maybe there are one or two things i should point out only you can save mankind was written during the gulf war not the one we've just had which was the sequel but the one more than 10 years ago i hope no one intends to make it to a trilogy Computers were just getting powerful enough to run realistic-looking games. At the same time, people were watching the first video war. Every night, the news showed the views from bombsite cameras in what looked like live action, often presented by General Storming Norman Schwarzkopf, who was in charge. On your computer, games that looked like a war. On your TV, a war that looked like a game. If you weren't careful, you could get confused. Our mobile phones weren't that common, at least for kids. If you're away from home, you had to use a phone attached by a wire to the wall. It was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> I love this little footnote as well for anyone reading this in 2014 New Rocks were a cool boot that was a cross between footwear and an armoured car cool in 2004 and maybe they still are uh, the mosh pit yeah. was that bit right at, close to the stage at a punk or heavy metal concert where all the stomping goes on and heavy metal was I'll go and look it up <laughs> I have definitely worn New Rocks in a mosh pit in the past I've never owned a pair of New Rocks uh, not being a goth myself, uh, but I have enjoyed a mosh pit or two of my time. Generally in skate shoes or DMs, the latter is better. Yeah. I don't know what happened to my new rocks. I think I lost them in a move, but just I enjoyed possibly people in 2014 needing to know what new rocks are. Yes. 
And um, shout out to Steve on Twitter who dug his out for the special occasion of reading the book. Oh, super. <laughs> it's nice um, to know they're still around. Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking my talking point later is about uh, computery stuff and kind of involves a bit of scene setting and just a couple of bullet points I think I might put here because we're going to be talking. It's going to be more relevant to what we're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. So just a general setting the scene for anyone who doesn't remember 92 very well, like us. Uh, I was born. Yeah. <laughs> so this was being written 91, I guess. Uh, yeah. Or early 92. But so general idea, we're in the age of the Apple II. We're in the age of the Commodore 64, IBM PC clones. Not computers I've used. Fucking love the aesthetic. I've got this uh, keyboard that's made by the same people, but is brand new because I just fucking love that stuff so much. Proper spring spring loaded it's good uh so 89 game boys first released uh not in europe till 90 uh 1990 just video game idea we've got metal gear 2 super mario world uh windows 3.0 was released in 1990 91 very exciting year we had wing commander 2 which pratchett's talked about playing before um, uh, he said in one of the groups, actually he'd played elite wing commander x-wing and altogether too many outer space shooting ups which were yeah that's why the book is reminiscent of many of them. Um, Final Fantasy IV, Mega Man Four, and Linus had just started work on Linux. The internet was switched on with nothing on it. Uh, Visual Basic was released. So yeah, that's the time where we're in an exciting technological period. It's a fun little... There's a couple of little time capsule moments I noticed, and one of them is the fact that Johnny has a computer for playing games on in his room and then is using an encyclopedia to do the research for his schoolwork. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the line about uh, learning new technology at school, but getting in trouble if you used it for anything. Yeah, which uh, that had passed by the time I was at school. Like We were allowed to hand in typed things. We weren't in middle school. And yeah, no, you could in upper school, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure I did my yeah. No, I definitely did my coursework on the computer, but I think I still had to handwrite stuff in middle school. It was oh, within school, the I phasing got, period, I think. Upper school, I got in trouble for handing in handwritten stuff, especially when it came to like essays and coursework. Was that because you were a terrible wanker and they were trying to tell you off for that? No, Why would you handwrite your coursework because I left it to the last minute and wrote most of it on the bus that morning. Oh, okay, fair. <laughs> Didn't have time to then type it up and print it out. Um. And funnily enough, I didn't get A-levels. No, no, you did not. I'm an example. <laughs> uh, right, should I tell us what happened in this? Yeah. God, I've got something in my cool. I'm sorry. I'm just blinking like a maniac for years. Uh, it's all right. I love it. Um, just heads up, listeners, that I'm not doing super detailed summaries for these. I recommend actually reading the books. Yeah, um, I mean, always, please. I mean, always, preferably, yeah, but especially for these because I'm not going to do a whole book that would be two pages of summary yeah i would just wander off halfway as entertaining as your summaries are uh so in this book johnny maxwell sits down to play only you can save mankind only to receive a strange message on the screen we wish to talk the screewee are surrendering during these trying times johnny promises the pixelated protagonist safe conduct and dreams of his spaceship until he dies defending them out in the real world, the, game the game's alien ships are gone for everyone, and Johnny sees a mysterious girl complaining at the game's shop. His friends blame him for the strange glitch, while at night he continues to dream of saving Screewee. 
As the Screewee captain and gunnery officer find themselves at odds, Johnny's temperature rises and fever dreams of the Screewee war take place as the captain shows him deaths and demands food. Johnny makes a decision. In his dreams, he takes food to the Screewee, friends in tow, and fights off the other players still flying through the stars. A mysterious ship waits and watches and flies beautifully before killing Johnny, but not before hearing his voice. Johnny goes looking for the girl from the game and the computer shop and interrupts his friend Big Mac's evening plans to enlist his help. A car crash that Big Mac should have been a part of sends him spinning. Meanwhile, the Screewee captain faces a mutiny from the gunnery officer and the alien ships head back to fight the players. Johnny finds the mysterious Kirsty again in game space and makes it to her place, convincing her to help before passing out. They both wake in game space, having dreamed their way onto the Screewee ship, and head to the bridge in time to take down the gunnery officer, outfly the humans, and reach the mysterious border the Screewee have been searching for. After a final confrontation with the furious gunnery officer, Johnny and Kirsty slash Sigourney make it to the escape pod just in time as the Screewee head for the border, leaving game space forever. I like it. That was very <laughs> concise. That was more concise than usual. Thank you. That's what I was going for. So... Helicopter and loincloth. Yeah, that's right. Helicopter. Well, helicopter, I feel like we've got plenty of flying things to choose from. Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to go with literally any spaceship is basically okay, a helicopter. Okay, no, no particular one? No, No, I decided to keep it vague because I forgot to write anything down. Okay. Uh, for loincloths, the film they go and see, Alabama Smith and the Emperor's Crown, that sounds like a film that's probably got a loincloth or two in it. Sure. Yeah, no, that sounds... Uh... It's, uh, it's Indiana Jones. Yes, I'm assuming Alabama Smith is Indiana Jones. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I was just trying to remember if there were any loincloths in that. Uh, talk, quotes. Do you want to go first? I think yours is first. My quote is, Everything made sense a bit at a time. It was just when you tried to think of it all at once that it came out wrong. Which is very applicable to many, many, many situations uh, from the very serious, like this one, to the... When you suddenly like 10 hours deep in a project and you're like, none of this, none, none of this, this. made I've, I've just built a house of nonsense cards. Yep. I have to knock it over and start again. But, um, Relatable. Yeah. I like that quote. I think it's a good quote. I enjoy that. I stupidly picked a really long one. Not stupidly in that it's a bad quote or anything. It's just, I'm struggling to speak today. So We'll yeah, well, we goes. are recording a podcast, so you'll have yeah. to get the hang of it again at some point. Sorry, listeners, I haven't spoken out loud for like three days. <laughs> they tried to talk to you and you didn't even listen. You were the only other one that got that involved. You were so mad to win, you slipped into game space. And you'd have been so much better at saving them than me, and you didn't even listen. But I listened, and I've spent a week trying to save mankind in my sleep. There's always people like me that have to do stuff like that. It's always the people who aren't clever and who don't win things that have to get killed all the time. And you just hung around and watched. It's like on the television. The winners have fun. Winner types never lose. They just come second. It's all the other people who lose. And now you're only thinking of helping the captain because you think she's like you. Well, I don't care anymore, Miss Clever. I've done my best and I'm going to go on doing it. Very good. I just really like those moments where someone completely breaks down and loses it and has a massive rant. What? Recent book that we've read and what character did someone just have a proper shut up moment at one of the protagonists because this was really familiar for me and I couldn't think what it was it wasn't Carpe Jugulum was it am I thinking of Nanny Slapping Agnes you might be thinking of Nanny Slapping Agnes actually that yeah. makes sense mm, okay similar vibes not quite the same yeah 
Yeah, I think it might be it. Okay. Should we talk about characters? Sure. Let's. Who have we got? Who are we starting with? Well, I feel like we should start with Johnny, as this is, according to the front of my book, a Johnny Maxwell story. Is it? Hmm. It is. It is. It is. He is. Agnes, yes, I don't know why I'm saying that in a mysterious tone. It is not a big surprise to anyone that he is the main character of this book that he is the main character of. What a nice little chappy. What a nice little chappy. He's just a decent sort. I like Pratchett's way of writing the sort of everyman-ish type protagonists. Yeah. Like even he describes himself as, no, I was the other one that you didn't notice. Yeah. Pratchett in, in one of his forum posts said, Johnny's anything but a traditional hero. He doesn't step in. He's dragged in throughout the book. He seldom does anything because he wants to, but because the situation is dropped on him and then being Johnny struggles to do his best to deal with it. It's like a non-cowardly rincewind. Also 12 years old and dealing with trying times. Trying times. I'll talk about the trying times a bit more later, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's just very human. I, like, I know this is something obvious about Pratchett books in general. He writes people, very, very human people very well. Mm. But it's nice and when very, you read very something. very, very human reptile aliens. And very, very human reptile aliens. It's nice seeing it when we do like his young adult books. And this is like, I'd say, more on the young adult side than the kids side. Like it's quite dark mm. in places. Well, yes, but so are good kids books. Oh, yeah, good point. I suppose it's where you blur the line, isn't it? At 12, are you a... I'd say it's perfect for a 12, 13-year-old. Oh, yeah, no. 10, it's perfect, 11, but... acceptable. Yeah. 8, 9, well, pushing it. Depending um, on the 8, 9-year-old. Depending but on yeah. the 8, 9-year-old, yeah. It's a, um, it's a very good book. It's a very good book. I think it is simple enough to be understood by younger kids, but probably not until you're a young adult do you get a lot of the emotional depth to it. Yeah. That sounds a bit wanky, but... No, so, I get what you so mean. a lot of this podcast, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, if you think that's wanky, the point I was going to make is that uh, when you read his kids and young adult stuff, it really, really distills the stuff he does very well, like writing mm. humans incredibly well to like a really pure essence because a lot yeah. of the external, especially a lot of the external like Discworld is stripped away from this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's all very, it's it's not because it goes into outer space and but it's almost like a few bottleneck episodes mashed together isn't it Except everyone's in yeah. a you're you're in the spaceship or you're in the a very small world in comparison anyway yeah yeah and, uh, so I and yeah and then who else we have we have wobbler wobbler what a name good lad uh the kind of boy who's always picked last when you had to pick teams uh the wobbling was glandular and he is a computer genius of sorts. Yeah, uh, very obsessed. I do like the line because it's like a little Pratchettism thing. If he's got this close up of a microchip on his wall, and his granddad says, "Why hasn't he got giggles and garters?" <laughs> and there's something about girls' giggles and garters that comes up a lot in Pratchett. Um, I hope, and I bet someone has made like a fan cover idea of that. And if not, we should. I'm sure one exists somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I meant to Google to see if that poster's real. I bet it is. I'm I'm pretty sure that the silicon chip, not the yeah girls. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's another he's another decent sort, but isn't just yeah. the same character stamped again. So it's, he's an, he's a nice sidekick. I noticed with like the four boys that kind of make up this little group. Uh, so Johnny Wobbler, Yolis, and Big Big Mac. You, they're not the same characters, but you can really tell from this that Pratchett wrote a lot of the them in Good Omens. Yeah. Like, it's the same. It's a very specific way of writing that kind of age group that he does really well. Yeah, for sure. 
and the thing is you can point at it and be like well it's very problematic that the fat kid is called wobbler and then all the stuff about yolus that i'm about to talk about but it is also exactly how 12 year old boys treat each other yeah i think it's a shame he didn't get to write more groups of kids because i think he does it very well yeah he makes realistically it doesn't make you want to stick pins in your eyes yeah so not very realistically but you know (laughs) it's like that obviously it's not the same age group or really gender but uh, it reminds me of the Georgia Nicholson books and how like effortlessly it's done. It's not cringy, mm. like even the really stupid slang stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's not it's necessarily. Jokes. It's it's yeah. not it's not going to have you rolling on the floor if you're not in that age group. But you can remember very Being well twelve that, and yeah. saying stupid shit to each other. So yeah, Yolus is quite an interesting one. Of his <laughs> nickname comes based on a lack of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And we could sit there and go, oh, it's all very racist and problematic. But like, and I don't think Terry Pratchett's pointing at it and saying, this is a really good way to behave. He's being very realistic about how people behave with each other. The nicknames, the kids' nicknames in general are great. Uh, Nearly Crucial and MC Spanner. Yeah. And uh, Johnny eventually admitting that he's often called Rubber. Uh, Oh, there we go. (laughs) It took me a second as well. (laughs) <laughs> just to clarify for our listeners this rubber johnny is, is a slang term for a prophylactic a condom I don't know. there we go i don't know why i've suddenly got very prissy about this <laughs> well, we'll spot places shall we <laughs> i'll be the prude this week no, uh, wait, you blush whenever we mention sex you won't be able to tell if i'm blushing i've got like five inches of face of foundation on it's better if you blush the conversation they have after going to see alabama smith and the emperor's crown of um, Wobbler calling it racist and Yola saying he enjoyed it so then they have the argument over uh, it could still be racist if yes, which is this kind of com- conversation you have and there's a nice a nice line there's a very funny line later on where um, Johnny was at Yola's and his mother can't complain because uh, they're good liberal people she approved of him on racial grounds <laughs> yes and again like uh Gotta remember it's the 90s, like early 90s. I guess this is probably it's the first wave of parents who were like that, really. Yeah, the sort of... If, if you approved before on racial ground, it made you a radical, not a liberal. Yeah, now it, it's yeah. it's sort of moving into the liberal... Yeah. Um, it's our parents. Guardian, well, your parents, maybe. Our, our parents' generation, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, very much my mum, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, the Guardian readers. Yeah. There's another line later on, I think, where Kirsty... That's not to say my dad is racist, by the way. He's just like a proper communist. (laughs) (laughs) He's not racist. He's a communist. They aren't connected. I just... He's not a liberal. (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. How the fuck did we get down this problematic rabbit hole? It was my fault. Let's dig ourselves down further and talk about Big Mac. Sure. But on a classist basis this time. Yeah, we've definitely got some classism here. Whoa, that was Bef- a dark bit. Whoa, right? Whoa. Before we I get to the that. before we get to the dark bit, I just oh, want to throw in Big Mac's theory that Ronald McDonald is like Jesus Christ, which <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Do you want to read a bit of it? Look at all the advertising. There's this happy land you go to where there's lakes of banana milkshake and trees covered in fries, and then there's the Hamburglar. He's the devil. Yep. Because a I love the description of him coming out with this big, slow statement that suggested some deep thinking had been going on. Like, he's sort of the detritus of the group. And I mean that in a very complimentary way. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good 
person it just takes them a minute sometimes and it comes from yeah. greater depths when it does yeah. but also it's the kind of stupid conversation you sit and have for a long time yeah absolutely i um, would say when your kids but you and i and our friends still often get into not, this kind of conversation it's not unheard of <laughs> um yeah i skipping past the dark bit very briefly um a similar moment i thought was when he t- says oh my brother's stupid yeah when the guys are talking about like um oh was it before or after it doesn't matter but talking about yeah the, the, the it's, it's after and, that dark yeah, bit but yeah is. they're talking about the war and everything and, and he's like oh they deserve it and they're like oh no actually because this and then he's just quietly thinking for a minute he's like oh yeah i know my brother's a dick got it <laughs> it's nice seeing it but yeah so the actual dark bit mm. the car crash and starting with, you know, Johnny turning up, because we don't see Big Mac in this context before that. You get the hints of, you know, it's the tower block and people have got Rottweilers and and don't tell you if someone's in until they know who who's asking. Rottweilers and, then and our have, staffies. Yeah. I love Rottweilers. They're lovely dogs. They are lovely dogs. As long as they're, you know, people nicely. cut their ears off. Well, yes, there is that. Anyway. Um, when Johnny approaches Big Mac outside the pub and there's this kind of code switching moment like once the mm. kids leave in the car and you see big mac relaxing and swaggering less yeah i think we all knew a guy a bit like that as well who looked much older than 13 14 wherever we were and would hang out at the pub with a completely different scary yeah. group of people but like was still a kid at school and yeah no it's uh again it's a very familiar character i think perhaps pretty good at distilling a these kind of experiences but yeah god it's just it's mm. fucking dark i really wasn't expecting it in this book no it's very and again i think this is one of those bits where reading it as an adult you might initially think well this isn't suitable for children but then reading it as an adult you kind of have to read it twice to make sure you read what you read and it's there's no detail to the point where it would upset a child you have to know what he's insinuating yeah I think it it would go over a younger kid's head, like an older kid. I think work it out, but that's not yeah, necessarily. Yeah, again, like twelve, thirteen, and you can cope with that then. Yeah, generally, it is really interesting bit to put in as well, isn't it? I think showing the reality again, showing the reality of like a high speed crash of people dying in real world, not just in the dream world, where again people dying was like a thing. It's a really good point in the book to put it as well because Johnny has become so involved in this game world that it's, is mm. real but is is at one removed from reality yeah and kind of lost touch with the really firm solid ground and something like this you know he's trying to um explain this stuff and he's freaking out and big mac says you know oh you don't really know anything about real life and johnny's saying this is all about games they both got really good points yeah because obviously this is incredibly real to Johnny, but it's not as real as what Big Mac goes through and witnesses. Yeah. And even though, you know, Johnny has got his issues at home and obviously he's not taking care of himself and someone else should be taking care of himself. It's kind yeah. of a reminder that that's on a very different level than some of his friends. And I think it does a really good job of showing the kind of the class differences you can have in a group as well. Mm. Um, and then that's kind of compounded with uh, what's it jobs. Kirsty Sigourney. It's the other end of the spectrum yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah, the other end of the like normal kid spectrum. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're not like boarding school. Yeah. No, that was another line about liberals I quite liked is when she brings Johnny up to her room and says, don't worry, my parents are liberal. Yes, don't worry. My parents are very liberal. You can hear her staying out of the way. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Kirsty, actually, I obviously there's a lot to say about the way the boys talk about sexism. And again, it's not like some of the earlier Pratchett books where it's like, it's not parody if you're just doing the thing like here it works yeah it was quite hard to read at points because she's so much that character like uh, so her dialogue is like oh my god you're giving me a headache like she's not likable but that's fine i don't think she's meant to be yeah um the describing her as uh that comes under the sale of goods act 1983 up until now mr patel had never met anyone who could pronounce brackets yeah like, Good old Kirsty. And I she's a very it. interesting contrast. Yeah. Just in the complete... It's, it's not that Johnny doesn't have motivation, but his motivation is very reactive rather than proactive. And yeah. it's like Sigourney Kirsty is always... Storming ahead always to do thinking, the thing. Yeah, always yeah. thinking about what she is trying to achieve. It's a nice counterpoint to have to Johnny. Mm. Because she doesn't quite come in and save the day, but she does make coming in and saving the day a lot easier, if that makes sense. Yeah. Although she changes the world around her to make it a bit more difficult, too. Well, you would, wouldn't you? No. This I is do the all difference the time between you and I. I'm not as competitive yeah. as you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Patricia relates think... slightly more to her than I do. <laughs> yeah. She's not likable, but I do find her quite relatable, although not to the point where I'd actually take the name Sigourney. No, and Which also is, you are massively conflict averse. I just mean that the kind of wanting to succeed at things. I think you've got a bit more drive than me. Yes, I basically constantly look for tiny hope, dopamine hits of little buttons going, well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of the Sigourney name, I guess is a reference to Alien, so don't worry, yeah, listeners. Yeah, no, it's we good. caught yeah, that. Yeah, and we got the cat one too. We got. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was the cat one? I didn't get that. Oh, she said, if I see a cat, I'm going to kick it. Like a, one of the plot points in Alien as she goes back to get the ship's cat. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm. Thank you. Between us, we almost make one complete pop culture reference. Yep. Um, and then the captain. What about him? What? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Am I the sexist? Are you? <laughs> I Fuck think it. so. <laughs> the doctor was a woman. Ha! <laughs> ah. Um... The captain and the gunnery officer don't have names, which is quite mm. an interesting kind of thing when you're looking at this anim- when you're looking at the anonymity of the people you're shooting at. Mm. They still don't quite reach the point of being named as characters. No, that is interesting. Um, probably partially because you can pronounce it, but they get around with that with everything else. Well, yeah, I mean, they manage to communicate, don't they? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the captain gets a couple of really good moments though uh one of my favorite descriptions is the captain had a nasty way of talking in a reasonable voice yeah just kept saying statements i was like oh wish i could be that i wish i could do that but you know when you're on the receiving end of that and you just are willing to like full-on cry oh yeah jack's like that in the very few occasions where like we have a proper disagreement for more than a second it's yeah. very difficult because he's so level-headed. Like, it's probably good in a home environment. It's hard to escalate, put it that way. That is good. However, I still struggle with it because um, just I cry at conflict. Oh, yeah. So easily. It's so annoying. Yes. Like, I won't please, be upset. Please ignore what's happening with my face right now. Uh, my I'm fine. Stands. My face is just doing <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> um, I liked 
the physical descriptions of her. Yes. I like the complicated shoulders, the, the, the forearm shrugs. The... I like the that of... there's no attempt at making her into an object of weird alien desire. Yeah, she's not sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like as well. No, hang on. That was a I different like all page. The teeth. Oh, the teeth birds. That's what I was about to say. I love the teeth birds. I like the teeth birds. There's just a nice little detail. It doesn't need to be in there in any way, shape, or form, no, but it's, it's just, just nice. lovely. And she has, a, and like, and it's just a tiny little bit of world building. It's like because you keep your teeth birds on your person and you let them out, and and yeah. they're quite intelligent. It's yeah. a, it's a fun little thing. Yeah. It's it's one of the things that makes Pratchett such a good writer is that he puts in details. I wonder if, because there's always, there's always this ambiguity as to how real this is, um, as in, is there any structure to it outside of the kid's imagination? And I wonder if like the teeth birds are half remembered from the picture encyclopedia. Or... Yes, quite possibly. Yeah. <sighs> and then we have the gunnery officer. What a twat. What a twat. Um, I do like one of his lines, though, where the captain's reminding him of the other races that have been destroyed, the uh, the Walteroids and the Megazoids and the Galaxed, Galaxa. No. Good. And he refers to them as uh, very primitive, very low resolution. Oh, I did like that, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start calling. <laughs> I'm going to start using that for stupid people. It's like, They're very low resolution. You know, a bit low res. <laughs> Actually, no, that sounds mean. It's like social Darwinism, isn't it? Never mind. <laughs> Oh, just stick to twats. Yeah. <laughs> UKIP voters, very low resolution. Um, but yeah, the gunnery officer's a dickhead. He is a dickhead. He's very, he's mutinous. That's a mutiny. That was. That was a full on mutiny. We don't like mutinies. And he got shot. Yeah, the whole scene of him, the, the last, the big crescendo of the book, and mm. then making it onto the bridge and realizing that he's been shooting his own people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The moment of like, again, this little cold moment, wasn't it? It's like this confrontation of death is like what's previously been this abstract thing of ships blowing up now being a person, admittedly an alien person, but still a person in front of you with a hole in them. Yeah, that's a, a theme throughout. I saw one review. Uh, there are a couple of like, obviously there's lots of blog reviews still. And there was one review of this book is like, uh, like obviously the the big theme is death being treated like a video game and not being treated realistically. If you ask me, it's a bit heavy handed. I was like, it's the kids. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> if you want like beautiful amounts of nuance, go read like almost any Discworld book. Yeah. But you can't beautiful amounts of nuance and nonsense. Nuance and nonsense. And nonsense. The new comedy duo act from the 1970s. The new new from the 70s. Yep, good. Anyway, locations? Uh locations. So game space look, I'm interesting not concept. Lie. Love it as a concept. I mostly put it in as a location to squeeze in an extra quote that I really loved. Oh, cool. Go on. Uh, which is the description of a destroyed alien ship. It drifted along absolutely dead, tumbling very gently. It was green and vaguely triangular, except for six legs or possibly arms. Three of them were broken stubs. It looked like a cross between a spider and an octopus designed by a computer and made out of hundreds of cubes bolted together. Yeah, just the concept of the... And the difference between playing the game on your computer and dreaming and being mm. in game space is these two different spaces. The kind of delineation space, space of it. And... 
Game space, space space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like the the kind of concept as well of this being this like it's almost like a parasite universe thing. If I'm going to keep using like disc world terminology, that's a yeah. Parasite universe is a really good term for it, actually. It's, it's not quite a parallel universe because it it relies entirely on on these kids. But then it's not it's not like dungeon dimensions, obviously. But yeah, I feel like we shouldn't think about it too briefly in case we give ourselves headaches because okay. I know what we're like. The border. Uh, the border. I just really like this as a final moment of the book mm. where you realise the border they're heading for is the game over screen. Absolutely. I take it your book, your copy has the, the black screen with game over on it, yeah. doesn't it? And then the very last page has new game. I, I had a quick look just out of interest when the game over screen like first popped up, so to speak. Um, and like really early, apparently it was the, the phrase game over was used as early as the 50s and pinball machines. Um, I was going to say, I assumed it up. had its origins in, in arcades. and Yeah, but like pinball. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then obviously became, as we would now see it in the arcade games, and then followed yeah. by the new game. Which is quite fun because obviously I've been learning with Unreal Engine how to do like heads up displays and stuff. So mm-hmm. I've been making the odd like game over screen. And it's quite satisfying to be able to trigger it so like a noise plays and game over comes up. Game over. What's the noise? What noise do you use? uh, It depends on like which asset pack and sound set I've already downloaded for different games. So shall we talk about the little bits that we liked? Oh, we could give it a go. We could give it a try. So the first thing is just kind of a general, another scene setting thing, another in the vintage moment. I just love that there's fucking digital clocks everywhere. Because wasn't that a moment? That was really a moment, wasn't it? Because digital oh clocks God. became a thing for a couple of decades there. Now they're gone again. Because we've all got clocks yeah. on our phones. and Yeah, we've got clocks on our phones. I've got, I've got a digital clock, I guess, on my alarms. I've got one of those sunrise alarms because I'm a wanker. But the, the old, you know, the red text, six, three equals... Uh, glitchy things and the nice little line about there being a clock on everything like yeah. looking at the thermometer <laughs> and this temperature's half past four yeah and the catalogue was like the golf umbrella was it was just that era of like tech means adding this to everything yeah add a clock to it and it's a lot more innocent than now which is tech means adding smart features to everything it's like oh I'm glad I can't afford a smart toaster. I don't even have a normal toaster. Oh, I wouldn't mind a red dwarf one, but I don't want one that tries to water bread. No, the the concept of a smart fridge stresses me out so much. God, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't really have much of a point about that. I just liked it. Another kind of dated scene setting thing I noted and didn't cram into my notes anywhere was when he's talking about his like social education classes. Yeah. Oh, and if they can't think of anything else to talk about, they talk about AIDS, which... Mm-hmm really really firmly puts this in the early 90s yeah for sure yeah um we we must have covered aids at school but i we didn't remember when oh right yeah yeah (laughs) we didn't cover that was the party line still they deserved it or we i think they went with let's just not talk to them about it so we don't have to say that fine yeah um but yeah i mean do you know again you're you went to Catholic school, so there would have been no chance of this. But someone pointed out the other day, and I never really thought about it, considering how much I think about this shit usually, that consent was never really covered in sex ed at school. Isn't, isn't no. that weird? Like, well, I mean, our sex ed consisted of one RE, so religious education class, where they went, these are all the different forms of contraception, and this is why specifically each one is evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But 
the teacher was, to get them cheap <laughs> yeah the teacher was at least good enough to very quietly say and if uh i'm only allowed to teach you the catholic perspective here's every sperm is sacred from monty python's meaning of life mm-hmm. here's your worksheet about evil contraception and if you have any more questions about contraception please come and speak to me and i can possibly give you some directions yes be because very careful wasn't. not to go to the local clinic and get free condoms yeah that kind of thing <laughs> yeah um but yeah Anyway, sorry, what was I saying? Yeah, the, um, yes, yeah, I mean, it's RE, isn't it? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Well, we did well, have, like, social education, but I don't remember what we were taught in it. I think it. it was lumped in with RE for us. No, for us it was separate. Oh, it was well, PSHE, Personal yeah, Social Health yeah, Education. That went with RE yeah. somehow. I, I think we learned a bit about sort of how voting and things worked. I'm not even... When I say I'm not sure we covered that, I'm not. No, I think I went to most of those classes. I skived a bit of school, but I don't think I skived that because it was an easy one. I didn't skive much in GCSEs. I didn't really start skiving till A level. Yeah, does it count at A level? No one's going to check up on you. Oh no, they did. They like did they? And shit. Yeah, it was oh, horrible. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, none of this is relevant. Clocks what? everywhere, though. <laughs> clocks everywhere. Fucking Coolness. clocks. I just really love them talking about the different words and whether they're cool or not. Yeah. Um, is it rad to say cool? Cool's always cool. No one says rad anymore. Uh, at one point, Johnny refers to the phrase totally splanked, which I love and I'm going to start using. I recently heard the phrase frowning Jesus as a curse. I think it was on Jack's video game and I'm going to start trying to use that. What larks? Mm-hmm. I enjoy what this. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't give a splank. Yeah. I think we're meant to say dweeb instead of nerd now. Or was it the other way around? Yeah, that kind of thing. It's yeah. dweeb or nerd or one of the yeah. two. Um, Johnny and Kirsty are like, oh, you don't say cool or wicked's not cool. What about mm-hmm. Vode? Vode's cool. I made it up. Still cool, though. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Which is a nice compliment, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. Darling, you look so Vode. Oh, no. Yeah, that kind of stuff did kind of matter. I don't remember any of the like really specific words that we used growing up. Like a lot of my teen lexicon probably came from the fact that me and all my friends read the George Nicholson books. Uh, yeah, like twelve, thirteen. No idea. I'm sure it was nonsense. <laughs> was I know the school I went to had like a bit of an upper middle slant. Yeah, which meant the slang was also a very weird mix of you know the posh kids that try not to sound posh. Yeah. Hurrah, <laughs> have you seen my backy? I really like those TikTok videos from people taking the piss out of boarding school kids. And I'm like, am I bullying teenagers vicariously? <laughs> Do I care? <laughs> We're not actively bullying Ma, them. Minty, so where's I... my backy? Minty. <laughs> Minty, have you seen my North Face? <laughs> oh, dear. We're terrible people. What we interesting really thing about this, actually, as compared to, say, Ready Player One. Yeah. I like how uncool the characters are. And like, yeah, American writers often try and do like an uncool character, but they're secretly cool. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the kind of people you do like text roleplay fanfic stuff with when you were a teenager. It was like, yeah, oh, she was such an outcast with her hair pulled into a messy bun and her <laughs> whatever. Um, but this it's like, yeah, he's got like a T-shirt with a biro slogan written on it. And uh... <laughs> he looks like a toast rack yeah. in camo trousers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Genuinely uncool preteen boys. As yeah. As we all were, except not always boys. Good. Good words. Excellent. Well we're not doing great on the sentence front. I'm going to 
I'm going to admit it, this is going to take a bit of editing and I can only apologise to our patrons for this entire debacle. I'm going to apologise to you because you have to edit this. Well, yes, but... That's a problem for future you. Yeah, exactly. Future me. Fuck that guy. That's Sunday morning. Whatever. Anyway, I uh, I stole your quote about Dead Space Invaders, which I'm very sorry about. Oh, no, that's all right. You're better at reading aloud than I am. But did you have any more you wanted to say on the topic? <sighs> No, I just, I just, I just like the concept. I like the concept of taking these two D. You've never really thought about them, characters, villains, whatever, and turning them into this dead world lore. Like that's the only yeah. thing. I've, not the only thing, but the main thing I've really enjoyed about old sci-fi and about like Strata in particular. I really liked, and like yeah. I know that's like a parody kind of thing, but I really like the whole ancient civilization but on a cosmic scale yeah yeah no that i really enjoy and particularly the idea of this kind of unified game space that Mm. all games live in out there somewhere with dead space invaders and the pixely t-rexes from tomb raider just sort of floating i know the pixely t-rexes went in space but i don't think they're actually in the great wall of china either so yeah who knows right um should I go on to the, the Friday the th- there Friday sure. the thirteenth virus? Yes, I put it in because it reminded me of one of my favourite bits of technological law, and this is a bit later than this book. But the Y two K panic. You, did you even try and look it up? Because I just googled it, and there's like ten things at the top for Friday thirteenth virus. No, I just put it in because I wanted to talk about the Y two K panic. <laughs> it's the Jerusalem virus. It's quite interesting by the looks of it. Anyway, sorry. Tell us about Y two K. I know it's after this book, it's just something that's always weirdly fascinated me because I always thought of it as something of a joke when I was younger, Mm. despite the fact my father literally worked in computing and had to deal with some of this shit. Yeah. Um, Well, it's because it was was like pop cultured, wasn't it? Like there was was Millennium Bug Haribo. Yeah. It was made Um, fun for kids. (laughs) It was made fun, but it was a genuinely serious, very worrying thing that people did a lot. And and when obviously nothing happened, everyone was like, see, Mm. it was fine. I was like, that's because people did a shit ton of work. As as with so many things, it is, you're telling us we overreacted because we stopped the bad thing happening. Because we reacted (laughs) the right amount. (laughs) But the basis of it was that um, computer, a lot, like up to the 90s a lot of computer programs uh abbreviated four digit years as two digits to save memory space Mm -hmm. because that was a lot of space at the time um so computers would recognize 98 as 1998 but wouldn't recognize 00 as 2000 yeah in 1900 yeah um so people were worried that when the clock struck midnight computers would have an incorrect date and just not fucking work not keep mm-hmm. track of things and this was across everything one of the things that was the most behind was the US government still is well yeah you can make a lot of money if you know how to operate some ancient computing systems and the banking and governmental systems yeah hot tip slightly older listeners uh, something interesting I found when I was reading about it, though, a fairly impressive legal precedent was Bill Clinton signing the Year 2000 Information and Readiness Disclosure Act. Oh, yeah. Uh, it gave companies like limited liability protection for sharing information about their Y2K methods so that they could work together to stay up to date and protected without, I guess, risks of things like copyright infringement. Oh. and okay. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So that was really interesting because that's quite a that set quite a big legal precedent of um, like presidential control of technical powers that hadn't hugely been addressed before. 
Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. So the Jerusalem computer virus, uh, otherwise known as Friday 13th virus, the logic yeah. bomb DOS virus, uh, first detected at the Hebrew, Univers- Hebrew University of Jerusalem in October 1987. So basically, when it infected a computer, it became memory resident using a whole two kilobytes of memory. And then <gasps> I know. And then it affects every executable file run apart from command.com. Com files grow by 1.8 megabytes. What? 1813 bytes. Wait, no. So one one point eight kilobytes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's so small. Um, <laughs> I'm struggling because I only have eight gig of RAM and that's not enough to run uh, Unreal Engine 5, it turns out. So this is hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah, in it. It was particularly interesting because it was a un- it was unique as a logic bomb, so like with a trigger. So it was set to go off on Friday the 13th on all years but 1987 and then deletes any program on that day, also infects .x files repeatedly until they grow too large for the computer. And yeah, that's really interesting. And there were like loads of variants that came from it, but Windows basically killed it off uh, because DOS interrupts are not very important anymore, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't look it up. I got very like weirdly single-minded about the Y2K thing. No, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just uh, I, I didn't want too many emails. <laughs> no, that's fair. Hey, I check the emails. I know, but I don't want you to get upset while you do it. Sometimes I check the emails. True. When I remember we have emails. But the emails. But that handily takes us on from computers to video games. Mm-hmm. And a bit of background around them as we go on to the bigger talking Oh, points. that's me. That's me. So, yeah. so I was looking at you. <laughs> You're always looking at me. We're talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not 90% of the time looking at myself in the Zoom window. <laughs> We're like little ferrets. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, not going to do a full potted history of video games because A, it's not hugely relevant. B, similarly to you, I can get very bogged down in this kind of stuff. Both, imagine, both of us would have tried to make timelines. We'd have got distracted trying to find the perfect... Uh, png file of like a space invader yep it would have been a thing so instead i did the scene setting earlier and i looked into um what wobbler does for funsies mm-hmm. uh looked so into the kind of game breaking almost yeah, exactly oh wait no before we get there i have one fun fact from the potted history i decided not to write which was from the oh not a fun fact a fun analogy which was talking about when the kind of golden age of arcade games was ending Mm-hmm. So like late seventies, early eighties, I think. Yeah, and I was listening to that podcast, and mm-hmm. the analogy from one of the guests there was like arcades are like blue whales. They are this huge animal, the biggest animal, but they live on krill. They live on quarters being fed in, and so it becomes really apparent when that krill, when these quarters start running out, and these things that seemed invincible start starving to death and it was just a really cool analogy i liked that blue whales arcades it's also very weird because we're talking about arcades in what i'd say is quite an american concept like the Mm. uk arcades are a very different thing we have the sort of yeah we have seafront (laughs) seafront penny arcades which i love yeah yeah i mean we've got some there's usually like a little we we got some of the american stuff over but it was very much a a shadow of american arcade culture they're usually like small things in something else, yeah. like um, motorway service stations, yeah. uh, bowling alleys. Yeah. Oh, I fucking loved playing the arcade games at bowling alleys. Oh, the dance machine. Yeah. I was so bad at it. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. Right, so Wobbler. Mm-hmm. First of all, the journey to Alpha Centauri that Wobbler made. Yeah. Somebody made. Did they? But it's not Pratchett referencing that. It is someone referencing Pratchett. Oh, someone made it as a reference to this book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that brings me joy. Yeah, someone made a game that in theory would take 3,000 years, a real-time journey to Alpha Centauri. Uh, subtitles, an interactive waste of time. <laughs> I was not able to download it because my computer does not run Z5 files. I'm not really sure what that is. No. <laughs> Uh, do at me actually I will, I will quite happily be educated on all of this because I fucking side note sorry I'm not staying on topic today I fucking love the whole retro computing aesthetic this is really going to aggravate anyone who was working with computers at the time because I sound like a dickhead teenager appropriating Nirvana without having listened to their CDs but yeah I love the look of old like old computers like the Apple II the fucking Commodore I love the weird beige boxiness of it all I just love it I don't yeah. know why just tickles the right part of my brain. I feel a huge amount of nostalgia specifically for beige computers yeah. with the massive what's it called when it's got the big bit sticking out the back of the screen? I it's have not no a flat idea, screen. But agree. CRT Tal- or something. Yeah, CRT, yeah, yeah, yeah. The tube yeah. tubey. What's it? Tubey what's yes. it? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> Cathode ray tube. Thank you. Thank you. Just beige computers bring me a huge amount of nostalgia. Um I love it. Listeners, I just held up my tank of a keyboard. I did go more up to date when I got my computer and got the light up keyboard and mouse that matched the computer so I can program oh, the lights a, to do cool you're shit. A hacker now, aren't you? You've got you've got RGB lights, you've got uh hoodie and too much airliner and you go clack 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 clack. I'm into the mainframe. Having said for ages that I really love the Mac keyboard and the quiet little thuds, now I've got a mechanical keyboard. I don't ah! know. <laughs> When you're writing code and you're going clickety, <laughs> clickety, so click, and you're typing code. It also works for, like, creative writing. Yeah. I don't know if you've tried it yet. I know uh, you can write first and then writing, you type um, up your notes, yeah. But. Yeah, the closest I've come is writing recipes, which isn't creative writing, mm. but it's not writing code. Yeah. Anyway. Fuck, well, I say piracy. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm sorry. So, <sighs> code breaking, not code breaking, sorry, Software cracking or breaking, as it was kind yeah. of known, um, is like piracy. It's it's uh, getting floppy disks, getting through at the beginning, like floppy disks defenses so that you could copy them and give your mates copies. Um, yeah. Jack, for instance, remembers all of their video games as a kid. Well, like pirated versions that I think his dad's colleagues or something brought home. Yeah. Um, by the time I was playing video games, I mean, it was all CDs, which were a little bit harder to crack, I think. But I had the odd pirated bit of software. I think my first yeah. set of Adobe suite was pirated disc. Um, I shouldn't say that. Statue at Limitations probably over. It was like 20 years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we had like... 20 years ago, how old am I? No, and... not quite. <laughs> how old were you when you first got Photoshop? <laughs> Too young. Now I was 16. Um <laughs> Sorry, I just got that madness song stuck in your head. You photoshopped too much, much too young. Oh. <laughs> you photoshopped too much, much too young. Now you edited oh. a picture of yourself married with a kid when you should, should be, be having, having fun. fun with me. Uh, software cracking. Yeah, sorry, software cracking. <laughs> so it's the removal of copy protection features mm-hmm. or, or adware and things, but for the purposes of this. Um, 
something you might like to look into a little bit more is something called crack intros, which is a small sequence added to cracked software, like a little signature. Like, you know how like movie studios have a, yeah, and there's 10 of them before you can watch a movie, which is one mm-hmm. of the reasons I hate watching movies. Genuinely, it pisses me off so much, puts me off. Um, you got like 10 different stings, whatever you call them. Um, there's usually no material benefit. Well, it certainly wasn't. I don't know how much of it is profitable now. As with Wobbler, the joy of it was really in demonstrating technical abilities. Um, yeah. There was big communities of these people, and obviously that became more connected as the internet developed, but even pre that. Um, on the internet, on the internet, there was um, an anonymous figure called Old Red Cracker uh, who founded a high-cracking university. Um, wow. Yeah, which was like recognized enough that if you put a plus in front of your username or whatever, people would know you were legit. Um, I This also just reminds me briefly of another thought I had mm. just about the book in general. Something that really interests me about it. Internet doesn't really exist as a communication tool yet. Like there's no social media in the early 90s. Yeah. But people everywhere have become aware of this lack of ships in this one game at the same time. Mm. Just mm. thinking about how that Ooh, spread yeah. is it's like angry an letters and word of mouth. And... Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that is really interesting. Yeah. Premonition. Ooh. It's just oh fucking tell you what, you'll love this as well. I know you'll have read about it and listened to stuff about it. But I love all these stories about like early mm pog stuff and like that one i've forgotten the name of it but that got closed down and there's been like these podcast episodes of like the last uh seconds of this entire universe was like recorded for the first time on this um, yeah uh, i'll find it and i'll link it and i'll do it and follow up next week so i fucking love that shit anyway god why am i waking up at nine o'clock at night um <laughs> adhd yeah that's it and coffee um so some of the just fun little trivia bits about copy protection stuff. Some of the early games used to require you to keep the original packaging for verification. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, you'd have to activate it each time you booted up the game because you would had to add a specific word from the manual. So you'd need to always keep the manual. Um, or gameplay itself would require information or hints from the manual or from the game packaging. Um, which, by the way, another sidetrack. Um the idea of having like these huge manuals for games and i used to love them i used to absolutely love them when i was a kid um and you don't get them so much anymore which fair enough especially if you download games like i do legally yeah um (laughs) legally listeners god i'm talking to you like you're a load of narcs um dobbed into pirate police um (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the last little fun copyrighty thing I saw was lens lock. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's like a row of prisms arranged in this cassette-sized plastic holder. Um, and so for these games that like ran on cassettes, a corrupted two-letter code would be displayed on screen and it would be like separated into lines of light. And if you viewed it through this little thing, you could read the code. And then you'd is- have to put that... Yeah, which is pretty cool. Apart from the fact it could only be read through like at the exact right resolution. And so people playing these games had to like fuck with their screen settings for ages and like oh. Um oh also this isn't that relevant to this because I don't know if this is before that point or just about the time that started. Do you remember buying there's like game and magazines and they used to be the only way you could get solutions to really difficult parts of games? Like oh before my God. the internet. They're so expensive. So- 
also uh like physical strategy guides mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, so we i think i've talked before about playing tomb raider with my family and we had the physical strategy guide that like we'd take turns someone would read from it while someone else would play i still have it oh yeah it's completely fallen apart so it's in like a folder like in uh oh, you digitize it it's just it's so of its time i'm not even like i'm sure it's a bit faded now as well Love but it. yeah, we would buy like physical strategy guides for mm. games. Or yeah, we'd buy the magazines because you'd also get like little demo discs with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, loved it. Loved oh, God, it just remember demos. Like physical demo discs yeah. with like a little snippet of a game on. I know, I played the Diablo 2 one like a million times before I finally got one of my parents to buy it for me. Yeah. Um, I was too young for that. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I... I think that's all I had to say about that. Who can say? Fuck. I've certainly gotten through my bullet points. Well done. Yay. Well, something we, we've talked about a bit already, but I want to talk about because it goes into some of the bigger stuff I want to talk about. And you mentioned as well why this is such a good kids book. Mm. And something I noted is just it really handles the big topics well through the lens of being 12. Yeah. Um, like obviously Terry Pratchett talks about in the foreword uh, this being written during the first Gulf War we were slightly younger than these characters during the second Gulf War but of a very similar age yeah yeah and, and it kind of then lingered on into the Afghanistan stuff and the yeah it was just kind of I remember it being very weird when it started I remember my mother like trying to have a conversation with me about it of sort of how does it feel to like be in a country that's at war and like my full understanding of war up to this point was world war Two at school so right. i was a bit like which we were only really taught about like what english people were doing during the war so it was like well there's no rationing we haven't got like an anderson shelter in the garden so it all feels pretty normal mm-hmm. doesn't really yeah. feel like we're at war i had a very politically engaged friend uh who went on an anti-war protest with her parents and yeah so i was told what to think about it and i still agree <laughs> like i had an opinion <laughs> but yes it wasn't through much critical thinking of my own i do like the way yeah like these kids come to these conclusions and the the comparisons they make and the and they had a film on the news about the war and it was quite good oh, fucking sick of it now and then just yeah. coming to the realization that all of that like what looks like video game footage yeah no it's 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 very kids it's, did you see the war on the box last night is one of the lines that really got me like they were talking mm. about a football match or something yeah yeah yeah, did you catch the war last night? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's very weird because I'm watching like my little nephew now grow up with the Russian-Ukraine war happening. And yeah, the real online war. <laughs> well, he's, he's, you know, he's six. He's not really online. Um, he's allowed to watch YouTube under supervision, which is just fucking Minecraft videos. <laughs> but I noticed he was getting like weirdly kind of... a not obsessive about money but he kept like talking about like he spot change on the side and asked if he could have it and he was asking how much things cost Mm. and i sort of jokingly said to him like well you know you don't need that much money you don't need money for everything and he was like well but what about the war in russia and ukraine because we need money to send to the ukrainian people and it was like such a (laughs) six-year-old's understanding of it and I was trying to very gently explain, like, no, other people you should can't be... can't help them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other people who are quite silly should be doing more on that front, dear. Uh, but it's a bit early to radicalise you. <laughs> Unless I can somehow do it through Minecraft. Oh, I was being radicalised from a fairly early age. 
I mean, I'll do my best. I keep buying him Pratchett books. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. I, I would say that's a more reasonable way to do it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that ties into like why I think it's such a good book as like an overarching thing. Pratchett talks to children or talks about children like they are entire people, not like they're babies yeah. or kittens or whatever. Like, talks, and more so in he this. He uses than like- proper language. He, he perhaps doesn't go as heavy handed on the floral prose or the analogy or whatever yeah. but he it, it's in no way dumbed down no it's not his books for younger readers are great because they don't fall into that kind of syrupy patronizing tone mm-hmm. and the um, way the kids talk to each other like they're figuring out this whole thing of what they feel about war together yeah yeah and there's like this this hardship that the trying times i think is written very realistically and it's oh, not God, just have- a, a trite thing it's a it's so subtly done because it starts with just like johnny talking about it being trying times and his father coming to be fatherly Mm. and one of the kids his friends kind of asked him about it and he says it's all gone quiet yeah and it's really subtly built up into there not really being any food at home yeah him making do with black coffee which you kind of think oh yeah wait hang on it's like a fucking 12 year old um and by the time he gets to Kirsty's, you know, he's dirty and he's swaying and he's yeah. eventually passes yeah. out. He's yeah, exhausted. He's a proper neglected kid, you suddenly realise, yeah. And it's really subtly done in the book because the book's mostly from Johnny's point of view and he doesn't think of himself as neglected. Yeah, and from a kid's point of view, I think at that point still you might read that and be like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a protagonist. You end up in these states when you're... And, and he's tired and he's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then as an adult, you're reading it like, oh fuck, Johnny. Yeah. Like the end, I, I cried a little bit at the end um, when it was. I've, I've forgotten the wording of it now, but um, when he sort of wakes up in the spare room and yeah. But yeah, it's it's incredibly well done because none of it is simplified mm. any more than it's simplified the way a twelve year old would see it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's simplified through a kid's eyes not to explain it in a patronizing way yeah yeah and obviously like i compared it earlier to good omens like you can obviously see from terry pratchett writing kids like this how much of a hand he had in adam and them but they're more of a parody intentionally because good omens is yeah like and they're a bit young yeah nosed and yeah <laughs> they are those plucky young kids whereas the, like these aren't plucky young kids johnny is not a plucky young hero no no, none of them the, are really. The, yeah. the closest you've got is a like overly intense competitive upper middle class girl. Yeah, like I think she's the most parodyish out of them, but even she is still incredibly human. Like I said, I already did one of Johnny's rants earlier, but when he breaks and loses his temper, one of them is in that social education class I was talking about, mm. where he just ends up yelling at his class about the fact that it's not a game, it's not fun. Any minute they might get blown up. Yeah. And this is coming just after this realization that like it's when Big Mac realizes his brother brother's stupid. It's this almost are we the baddies moment. Yeah. Which yeah. is obviously the conflict that Johnny is facing throughout like the whole book of is he the bad guy shooting at the screwy? Yeah. And realizing that he has been, whether he wanted to or not. It's an interesting kind of meta point as well, in that if he hadn't had this fantastical experience then he, he would have wouldn't. just bought into the propaganda absolutely like, i mean let's not go too deep into it but let's also not pretend like the way 
these wars were portrayed portrayed and the way that video games have always been portrayed aren't a kind of propaganda yeah, thing. Dehumanizing. I mean, Storm yeah. and Norman was very this is someone made into a character. Yeah. And this whole context only around like Johnny looking up the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Because of what's happening to him in the Screwy conflict. Like none of that stuff had ever occurred to him about the fact that like he thought, oh, once someone's a prisoner, they're a prisoner. And then he learns, oh no, you've got to be nice to prisoners. And yeah. that takes him to fuck, hang on, we're not being nice to prisoners. Yeah. And he has to go through it that way round. I remember learning about like rules of warfare and be like, what rules warfare? Like, it took me quite a while to get my head around it, I must say. It, is it took me a very difficult long time. concept for a kid. Well, and also I hated history at school, so uh, I, very surprising to look at me now. As, as you are constantly in medieval cosplayers. Well, I'm more of a nerd about history than I used to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's no, possibly it, it because... So depends on the teacher. Like, I had such good history teachers. I was always very into yeah. it. And my parents were both very into history. And, yeah. yeah. My parents weren't super into history, apart from, like, my mum and art history. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the curriculum is just plague tutors, World War II. History and medicine are quite like. Yeah. Who was the father of medicine? I remember that essay. Well, I don't think we did anything like that. Well, no, you're Catholic. Jesus was the father of medicine. <laughs> Galen, who's Galen? Pagan god, more like. <laughs> For humours, more like, shouldn't you be reading your Bible? Um, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> All right, we need to stop ripping on Catholics and get towards the uh, the point I was going to make somewhere towards the end of this podcast. Sure. Um, disagree we conflict. Mm-hmm. And this is a parallel because it's something that's so much closer and personal to Johnny. And the realisations that are really obvious, but he obviously hasn't thought about because he's a 12-year-old boy, this idea of mankind and earth are also the screwy words for the same thing. Yeah. That only you can save mankind means only he can save them. Yes. That earth is their word for their home as well. Yeah. Same as Bromeliad, wasn't it? Yeah. And I just, I think it works so well to bring this kind of whole analogy together to put something that human in the shape of anthropomorphized alligators yeah. <laughs> on a pixelated screen. And I'm yeah. remembering just how pixely like X-Wing Commander was or whatever it was called. I love how in your memory, video games are always a lot higher res than they actually were. <laughs> yeah. So I downloaded Tomb Raider 2 on this computer yeah. when I, that was the first game i put on my ridiculously expensive computer mm-hmm. fuck me i forgot how bad that was i tried to play age of empires one a couple of years ago and i was like nope can't do it age of empires 2 still holds up you'll be pleased That's to know. Good. yeah i was worried of course but yeah the um practice writing this at all he was as he put it ah, here we go i do know that for me the plot of this book flowed very easily. Mind you, I was very angry when I wrote it. I'd seen too many real deaths being presented as video game footage. And I think, as with so many of his books, you can see the anger very much in it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes bursting out through Johnny, but sometimes just in the reasonable points he's quietly making throughout. Just like the captain. Just like the captain. <gasps> All right, we're leaving it there because that was a really good connection and I can't improve on it. Let's get obscure. Let's get obscure. Right at the front, page one, uh, is the Gobi Software advert thingy. Oh, yeah. And in there, there is the address for Gobi Software. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking through the uh, various uh, alt.net things, 
I found Pratchett explaining a annotation I haven't seen anywhere else. So I was pleased with my little digging or, or kind of hinting at it. Um, mm. So why is someone asked, why is Govi software, uh, why is Govi software's address in Tibet? And Pratchett says, ooh, ooh, I know this one. Please, miss. Ooh. Um, <laughs> the address is a highly mystical one. I'm surprised ABP hasn't rooted it out. Check out the names. Very strange place for some software to originate, but maybe not if that software is designed to change your mind. So I googled a Garter Drive Shambhala, Tibet. It's a it's Shangri-La. Yeah. <laughs> it's um it's a place of enlightenment, wisdom, peace, somewhere amongst the the peaks of Tibet or possibly under the ground near the Earth's core. And there's a whole very interesting lore legend behind it involving a hundred kings and and the world ending quite soon in ruin. Oh, so cool. I'll I'll link to that. I've also just noticed uh, I hadn't read all the small print on this little bit, the the like game intro thing. Uh, suitable for IBM, PC, Atari, Amiga, Pineapple, Amstrad, Nintendo. Actual game shots taken from a version you haven't bought. Yes. <laughs> Very recognisable even today. Yes. I enjoyed that. Right. I think that's everything we can conceivably say about this book. I think, yeah, we've, we've gone way out of our remit and not all of it was coherent. Please enjoy. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Truth Shall Make You Fret. That was so good of you. It was very kind of you. We will be back next week to talk about Johnny and the Dead, the next book in the Johnny Maxwell trilogy. Uh, in the meantime, of course, you can follow us on Instagram at The Truth Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at The Truth Shall Make You Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYS, F. Uh, email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, and albatrosses. The true shall make you fratpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us financially, although why you would after this, uh, go <laughs> to people off. It's fine. They've forgotten. Short memory spans, <laughs> all these video games. It's great. Uh, if you want to pay for our video game habits, please go to patreon.com forward slash the true shall make you fret and exchange your hard earned pennies. <laughs> for PowerPoints and other bonus nonsense. I just put up a recipe for chocolate brownies if mm. that tempts you. They're good. I can make them. <laughs> and in the meantime, dear listener, new game, Y slash N. I plan on being a lot more organised in my thoughts for the next two. They're kind of easier to talk about. It's not as broad a theme as war. Cool. What's the next theme? Death. <laughs>